it's they're a real good test for our team. It's what I think it's what our team needs. It needs to feel like that was a playoff type hockey game. Every game Calgary plays is a playoff type hockey team because of their all the things I just mentioned, right? Um, so you have to find a way to win games. That's what we're going to face. That's what, I mean, I don't care how you cut it, Minnesota, Nashville, St. Louis, Calgary, Vegas, amongst others, L.A., they're all big body, hard teams to play against. So you got to find a way to win hockey games. you got to find a way to beat them four to seven. Hello and welcome into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster, as well as the NCAA Men's Ice Hockey West Regional Championship. I'm your host, JJ Jerez, with me, Arif Dean, and of course, Patrick Stedman. And there you just heard Jared Bednar following the second loss in a row, something we haven't seen, Arif, since early November against Columbus. Um, I really like a lot of the the things he said there, right? I mean, he obviously a little bit disappointed over a loss, but not super disappointed because I think for a couple reasons, you know, like we've been bringing it up lately, he's experimenting with some things still, but he also just feels like it was a great test for his team. I thought that's what really stood out to me by those comments, right? It wasn't just a loss. It wasn't something to, uh, you know, hang negative feelings towards it's just more all right how do we rebound from this we've played these guys a couple more times this month what do we got to get ready for the next one and just viewing it as a preparation for the playoffs and a test so Arif how you doing what are your thoughts on on the comments Jared Bednar made following that loss I'm doing well honestly at this point I think we should just start introducing him as a member of the show he he kicks off way more of our shows than (laughs) I do so I mean we may as well consider him an honorary member and you and I both truly believe that Jared listens to this podcast. So we may as well. I'm convinced. Jared, Jared, if you're listening, which you you are, you're, you're part of the show. You're part of the show, buddy. Yeah. Um, if you want to come play golf or tennis with us sometime, <laughs> hit us up. Hit, hit us, us up. up. We're, we're available. Um, but yeah, so getting getting back to the quote, um, <clears throat> I think the, the most important thing that I took from that Jared Bednar quote right there is the fact that it's pretty much what I thought going into this game, and it kind of seems to be the vibe of the Western Conference this year. The Calgary Flames are built for the playoffs. That is a team that plays playoff hockey. There's guys, and you know, we, we often hear, there's guys that get you there, and there's guys that win you games when you get there, there being the playoffs. The Avalanche in the past have always been a team that can get there. The Toronto Maple Leafs, they can get there, but when they get there, they lose. And it's trying to find guys like Nazem Kadri at the top of his game, Logan O'Connor, those types of games, Nathan McKinnon finding this inner, you know, crazy, uh, you know, I want to fight, I want to hit, I'll, I'll kill you mentality. Gabe Landeskog having that mentality. These are the kind of guys that you need in the playoffs. Well, the Calgary Flames are littered with them. Number one, it starts with the guy behind the bench. It's Daryl Sutter. He's done this before. He knows what it's like. But when they go out and acquire guys like Eric Goodbranson and they bring in guys like Nikita Zadorov, they bring in, uh, you know, they got Matthew Kachuk. They got these tough players that play a very tough style of game. They are made for playoff hockey. And we saw that yesterday. I think the biggest thing here is Jared Bednar basically admitting that Despite us being the first place team, despite us being the only team with 40 wins and way better than every other team in the standings right now from the Western Conference, because if there's anybody sniffing up their necks, it's like Florida, Carolina, Tampa, it's teams in the East. Despite all of that, Jared still looked at the Calgary Flames as a test. This is the, these are the kind of games we should be playing. This is the kind of team we should be playing. And, you know, 
Did the Avalanche pass the test? Pretty much almost entirely. They played them right down to the very bitter end. And then they lost in a three-on-three overtime. And it's the first of three matchups in March. What I got from that Jared Bednar quote right there is he knows it's not Vegas. It's not the Minnesota Wild or St. Louis Blues. Despite him mentioning those teams at the end, it's the Calgary Flames that he knows are kind of the team to beat in the playoffs this year in the Western Conference. Well, I think there's something to be said about those teams he did rattle off, right? I mean, he mentioned Vegas, he mentioned Nashville, he mentioned St. Louis, he mentioned L.A. I think he also threw in, uh, I already said Nashville, I think one team he forgot to throw in there was Dallas, right? Because you look at this team's record right now, 40-11-5, basically 16 losses. You got two to the Nashville Predators, two to the Dallas Stars, two to the Arizona Coyotes. That makes up six of those 16 losses right there to three teams. So I think there's part of Jared Bednar three looking at these teams. Yeah, looking at these at these heavier teams, right? The way they're playing and those are the teams that seem to have a little bit of a recipe to beat this team. And I think that's what people are really worried about. That's the conversation you're hearing in Avalanche Lane, right? Sure, this regular season is awesome. This has been so much fun, but what is this team going to look like when it gets to the playoffs? Are they equipped to play playoff hockey? And I think that's what Jared Bednar is alluding to a little bit there, how he likes the test because this is more of a preparation for playoff hockey than anybody else they could be playing. So to your point, exactly, Calgary is built for the playoffs. It's a great team for the Avalanche to kind of compare themselves against and get ready for the playoffs. So playing them a couple times here before the playoffs start is advantageous, right? Because you're sharpening iron sharpens iron. So you're getting that uh, work in before you have to step into the to the heavy hitting version of hockey that is the playoffs. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the Avalanche ju- did just lose two consecutive games. Like you said, we haven't seen this since those two straight to uh, Columbus way back in November. They haven't lost, by the way, two straight in regulation since October. It's, it's crazy what they're doing. But I would call this more of a slight set, setback than anything because... Again, I'm going to go back to what I said. You know, Calgary Flames are that team. That's a good measuring stick. You know, I I don't think Calgary's on the other hand thinking on the other side thinking that they're the measuring stick. I think they came into Denver, beat the Avalanche at Ball Arena, and said, "Hell yeah, that's a great measuring stick." So it's you know successful teams kind of showing that respect to each other. But I think the biggest thing to take back out of that game, yes, it was a slight setback. Yes, you lost two straight games, but it's the Avalanche played them well. It was a really good back and forth game, you know, at specific times of the game, each team dominated for certain parts. Uh, It ended up with both backup goalies in there. I know Jacob Markstrom didn't start and that means Calgary can only get better. But I also think that uh, Darcy Kemper played terribly and the Avalanche's starting goalie can also be better as well. So, you know, you take the good with the bad. Markstrom also got pulled against Vancouver a week ago. So it, it happens. But the most important thing for me is despite the setback, they played Calgary really, really well. So again, first of three games, we got another one at Ball Arena a week from today, next Sunday. The Avalanche have passed the test so far. I don't think they're far off from Calgary and far off from these other teams. And, you know, the comment you just made alluding to, uh, you know, admitting that some teams are built for the playoffs. I wouldn't necessarily say that the Avalanche are worried that they're not built for the playoffs, but it's a matter of getting the guys that you want to be successful in the playoffs to actually be good when it matters. So that's my way of saying, if you have a second line center of Tyson Jost, like you did last year or JT Comfer, that's not going to work. Not only do you need Nazem Kadri not suspended, but you need him to be playing better than last year because of the game that he is playing right now. We are seeing him score points 
but we are also seeing him keep his cool physically. Not only is he not doing anything boneheaded to get suspended or take bad penalties, he's also playing a little bit off the edge, which is good for him because he's been in the NHL since 2009. He was drafted the same year as Duchesne and O'Reilly, and you know he's got a lot of miles on his body. So for him to save that energy for the playoffs, come out in the playoffs, and play a physical brand of Nazem Kadri hockey is going to be huge. But on the other end, we've got another guy in Gabe Landeskog who's been doing it since opening night. So you know he's still going to ramp it up in the playoffs because that's what teams do. You know, you got Jack Johnson. You got Eric Johnson who wasn't there last year. So you do have the pieces, but it's a matter of making sure that those guys are ready for the playoffs and they show up when it matters. And I feel like they answered the bell well, right? I mean, the the Calgary Flames started getting more and more physical as that game went on, and the Avalanche didn't back down. The Avalanche were getting just as physical and hanging in there with them, which I feel like sometimes they tend to— you, you tend to feel like they get pushed around a little bit and can't really hang with teams that start doing that. Well, last night, and you know, they've had some practice, right? We saw in Arizona, there's a little bit of an altercation to, to close out that game too. So um, yeah, I, I think it's great sharpening of themselves. And let's not forget that Jared Bednar is still in kind of an experimentation mode, right? We're still mm-hmm. seeing the top six kind of getting jumbled around. He even mentioned, like, I wanted to see how... Uh, Landeskog and and Kadri were playing together and you still got Burakovsky playing some minutes on the, on the top line. Um, and not to mention Darren Helm, right? I think the, the comment he made yesterday about Darren Helm saying he, he knows what he's getting out of Darren Helm. So why don't we throw in a little bit of a mix, see what we're working with heading to the playoffs, see what we're working with, with a physical team like this and how we respond. So, you know, I, I, again, it, it would have been nice to get a win there, but I don't think there's too much to read in that, oh, this team isn't ready for playoff hockey. This team isn't ready for physical hockey because there's still that element of experimentation from Bednar. Yeah, and, and you know, in the end, it's better to win them and they look better when you win them like they did in January so many times. But in the end, a defensive breakdown where a guy gets a breakaway on a three-on-three overtime, 47 or 37 seconds in or whatever it was to win the game, um, that's not going to determine if you're playoff ready or not. Because sure. the rest of the game went exactly as planned. Two teams each with, I think the shots were 36-35 at the end of regulation. Um, those, that was a good game. If you stop the game right there, tied 3-3, 36-35 in shots between these two juggernaut teams, both teams are looking at the other one going, okay, good, we can hang with them. Calgary's looking at Colorado thinking that. Colorado's looking at Calgary thinking that. And you know that you might face each other in the playoffs. And again, you know, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. A lot of those teams that we just, you know, mentioned that Jared rattled off, Colorado might have to play one of them in Minnesota or St. Louis to even get there. They might have to play three of them if, uh, or or two of them, if Vegas, you know, slots in as the second wildcard spot and suddenly that's your first round opponent before you play the winner of Minnesota, St. Louis in the second round. There's just a whole bunch of moving parts in that playoff race right now. The Dallas is the Nashville's where... You know, there is no easy route to the Stanley Cup final. There never has been. There never will be. And even when you were the Vegas Golden Knights last year and you beat the Avalanche and it was like the winner of this series gets to play the Montreal Canadiens. Well, the winner of the series lost to the Montreal Canadiens and pretty easily too, pretty handily the the Canadiens beat them. So I think what we're what we're seeing here from the Avalanche is uh, they're experimenting a couple of things, like you said, that Jared Bednar's doing, but they also know that they have what it takes to play these teams and play them well. And, and, you know, we're saying this after the first of three meetings, there's so much more hockey to be played. And especially between these two teams, I can't stress enough how fun it was to be at that game. And just having this conversation in general, because that game was hyped and it lived up to every little bit of it. 
Yeah, I think um, Avs fans and the Avalanche themselves can, I, I guess, kind of be grateful for this run Calgary's been on. Because I remember a couple weeks ago, you and I did a little standings check. And at that moment, the Avalanche, had the playoffs started then, the Avalanche would have played Calgary in the first round. So um, I'm glad they can avoid that. But to your point that you were getting into earlier, right, that they got into overtime is three on three and kind of a fluky play that, that ended that decided the game. Well, if this is playoff hockey, it's going to be five on five overtime, right? And this team, the Avalanche, are so good at five on five. That's where they really strive. I mean, that's when they're scoring goals. That's when they're not letting up goals. It's really penalty kills, three on three, even some power plays that, that hurt them a lot. So five on five, I think this team's a-okay. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you and I were looking at the power play numbers yesterday. They were two for 36 heading into that game since the start of February or something like that. I don't remember the exact number, but, you know, they ended up getting that power play goal. It's a little bit of a rut that they're in, but this team lives and dies with their five on five play. And in the playoffs, most of the game is played five on five. Not only do you not have three on three overtime, but you don't see a lot of calls going either way anyway. So this is a team that is kind of right in the spot where they want to be. Um, despite this little bit of a setback these last couple games, I don't think they're feeling terrible about where they are. There's a little bit of experimentation going on. Obviously, seeing Nichushkin on that second line again with Landeskog and Kadri was so much fun. And, you know, sitting Darren Helm last week, he sat Tyson Joes, just a bunch of guys in and out of the lineup just to see what you got. And being able to say, hey, there's a guy named Milan Lucic on the other side. There's a guy named Nick Delorier on the other side. Let's go ahead and play Curtis McDermott for a game. Let's go ahead and sit, you know, put him on that fourth line and know that he's going to play two or three minutes, which gives us more time to play Nathan McKinnon and your stars, but also gives you that big guy to fight. So there's a lot of things going on here. And despite the experimentation, they're, they're, they're still holding their own. And that's all that matters. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get into the game itself, and let's dive into some details about it, let's talk about the NCAA Men's Ice Hockey West Regional Championship really fast. Hosted by the University of Denver at the Budweiser Event Center located on the Ranch Campus in Loveland. The awesome thing about this tournament, guys, is there's two semifinal games on Thursday, March 24th, and you can get one ticket to go to both of those games. Basically a two-for-one, buy-one-get-one deal there. Then there's also the championship game that comes Saturday, March 26th. And uh, so you can either go to day one or day two, or you can also buy the two-day package and uh, go to go to everything that you uh, want to go to. So the winner of the regional goes to the Frozen Four in Boston, which is going to start April 7th and 9th. And uh, DU... I think they're still ranked. So, I mean, definitely a team to keep an eye on. And, and the teams that potentially could be coming in are teams to keep an eye on as well. Possible teams are North Dakota, Notre Dame, and BU to come face off against the Pioneers. So going to be a really fun little tournament. There's multiple hotels within walking distance of the rink, multiple bars and restaurants. So go up to Loveland, have yourself a little weekend, check it out. I know Arif, Patrick, and myself are going to do our best to be there. So if you're there and you see us, come say hi. We'd love to chat with you. But, Arif, let's get into this Calgary game. I think uh, I want to start with that overtime goal from Johnny Goudreau. One thing I want to point out about it is how much of a back and forth we saw between Kale McCarr and Johnny Goudreau throughout that game. I mean, I saw Kale McCarr trying to do his dipsy-doo flipperoos in the offensive zone and Johnny Goudreau hanging with him step by step. I saw Johnny Goudreau going in for offensive rushes. 
trying to pass across the ice. Kale McCarr step-by-step with him blocks the pass. It was a really good and fun matchup to see throughout the game. I'm a little bit disappointed that it gets to overtime. And there you have Johnny Goudreau right back on the ice. And Jared Bednar elected to go with Devon Taves as his one defenseman on the ice at that time. And it seemed like Devon Taves was caught a little bit out of position, wasn't able to catch up with Johnny Goudreau. You can't help but think, what if Kale McCarr was in the ice, on the ice there, and had he been able to keep up step with step for step with Johnny Gaudreau, what would have happened? But um, you know, ifs and buts are candy and nuts, or something like something that. Like I don't, that. I don't know the phrase or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but you know what I'm getting at. I, I just wish I could have seen Kale McCarr finish off that game against Johnny Gaudreau because he had been playing such a good matchup throughout the night. So uh, obviously, I'm not criticizing because you got a great defenseman in Devon Taves as well. And, you know, he has to elect who to throw out there and, and when. But I would have loved to have seen McCarr finish that night off on Johnny Goudreau. Yeah, it was a it was a strange decision just because, you know, we see that McKinnon and McCarr connection kind of playing all the time. And, and McKinnon, Rantanen and, and, and McCarr seem to be the trio to go to. And then you counter with Taze, Kadri and Landeskog or something like that. So it was a bit of a curious decision. But again, I mean... You could think about it both ways. You know, Jared was probably thinking, let's start with Taves. And, you know, if if it gets, which it usually does, overtimes don't usually end in 37 seconds. But if it gets to a second shift, well, now we can maybe throw McCarr out there and, you know, catch them flat footed. And now we got the speedy defenseman who's going to go out there and score. And now I look like a genius. But alternatively, you know, they give away the puck that the, the Calgary Flames kind of catch them off guard. Johnny Goudreau outskates Devon Taves. Well, now you don't look like a genius. So it could go either way. It was a very bit of a curious decision. Um, I think Jared maybe just overthought it a little bit. And again, I'm not going to sit here and criticize either because it is what it is. That overtime loss point isn't going to, or that second point that they lost in overtime isn't going to ruin anything for the Avalanche in the standings, isn't going to ruin anything in terms of their first round opponent, uh, isn't going to throw their season off, off the rails. This isn't 2018 or 2019 where they were just barely scraping into the playoffs. This is different. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with you there. I think it was a little bit of a overthinking situation where, you know, go with what you know. Go with McKinnon, Rantanen, and McCarr. And, you know, if, if you get through the first shift, then you can throw out Devon Taves and Gabe Landeskog and Nazem Kadri, And then you still got Val Nachushkin. You still got Berkey, and who's, who had a goal yesterday. And you have all these other options. But to start overtime, just go with the guys that you know can do it. Yeah, but it is what it is, right? Overtime is just overtime it's three on three it's whatever they still got the point and they're still 12 points ahead of the second place team in the west which is the calgary Crazy, flames yeah. so yeah no nothing to uh not too big of losses there calgary's got two decision. games in hand but i mean still yeah. even if you win those it's eight points it's it's quite a quite a good cushion right now so let's stick with Kale McCarr's play. I, I really enjoyed the way he was playing last night. Obviously, he's always a treat to watch, especially against the Calgary Flames. And we always remember his first game in the NHL, right? So I feel like he'll forever be linked to the Calgary Flames. But there was one particular play where he made everything happen, right? He was playing D. He uh, got in the way of the pass, made the... I forget which flame was was playing. I know Johnny Goudreau was part of that play. Yeah. It might have even been him that he blocked. But he, he ends up kind of making the shot go wide, picks up the puck behind the net, goes end to end, finds Kale McCarr or finds Nathan McKinnon. Um, you know, give and go tap, with tap, Kadri, tap, tap. Yep. 
yeah, a couple passes here, and uh, Nathan McKinnon buries a sick one. But all kind of starting with Kale McCarr really being the playmaker there and Nathan McKinnon being the finisher. I mean, it's exactly what you want to see out of those guys. And just the perfect statement as to the X factor Kale McCarr can be, right? That was a kind of a moment in the game where could have gone either way. It really felt like the Flames were getting momentum a little bit and kind of controlling play. And then, boom, at the flick of a hat, Calgary makes one def- mistake, gives Kale McCarr some space, and he takes full advantage of it. So, uh, yeah, just love seeing the facilitation from Kale McCarr. That's a word. Hell yeah. The facilitation from Kale McCarr. I loved it, too. It was it was a it was an incredible game for Kale all around. He obviously got another assist on that play. That was maybe the most deserving secondary assist I've ever seen, like ever. It was just such a good play from top to bottom. He had he had a great game. He had three hits. He was in it physically. He obviously had that thing. I think it was Matthew Kachuk where they both went to the box after, you know, kind of getting tied up a little bit there late in the third period. Everything about the game Kale McCarr played yesterday, physically, defensively, offensively, the way that he was clutch in those moments, it was one of the better games that I've seen him play in a long time. And, and you know, that's saying a lot for a guy that has a great game literally every time he's on the ice. So that play in itself was incredible. I think what made it all the better to experience was knowing that the ball arena crowd was all over that game yesterday. They were fired up. They were living and dying with every play. And that Kale McCarr play, there wasn't a person in the crowd that wasn't cheering for Kale McCarr, even though it was Nathan McKinnon that scored. You just knew everybody mm-hmm. was appreciating what Kale did because the cheers started from his first defensive play. And then when he picked up the loose puck in the crease, they got louder. When he started skating end to end, it got louder. When he passed it to Kadri, it got louder. They were all appreciating what he was doing in that moment. And that's what made it all the more incredible. And Nathan McKinnon's finish is, is quite incredible as well. I think you're right. Everybody was in awe of the Kale McCarr play, but let's not forget what Nathan McKinnon's been doing. I mean, he hasn't yeah. gone pointless since the game that he played, what, 56 seconds and broke his face. Boston, technically, he played that game yeah. and went pointless. So that was the last game that he went pointless in. That was back in January. So he's been playing amazing hockey as well subtly right I mean he's not having these four point nights three point nights that we're used to seeing from him but he's still contributing every single game and it's got to be tough for him because he, he can't be a hundred percent right he's taking slashes in the face at, at, in Arizona he's breaking his own nose he's getting in fights he's got to be a little bit banged up yet producing flipping people off. night in night out and flipping people off as well uh, yeah, I mean, again, I still think there's something to be said about Nathan McKinnon just conserving a little bit of his energy for the playoffs. But my favorite part of the NHL season is always coming out of the All-Star break. Because when you come out of the All-Star break, the games just get ramped up. It's like everybody goes and shares a drink together in Vegas or Tampa, wherever the fuck they have the All-Star game in any given year. And then they come out of it and go, all right, it's time. It's time to go. Everybody on the other side is the enemy. We're going to play a physical game. And it also seems to be when the good teams separate themselves from the bad team, you know, outside of the fact that the Avalanche blew a game to the Arizona Coyotes. You know, this was also the time where, you know, let's take the Eastern Conference, for example. The Detroit Red Wings were kind of hanging around there for a little while. Mm -hmm. They were five or six or seven points behind Boston. They come out of the All-Star break. The Avalanche smoked them. The Florida Panthers smoked them. The Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, despite all the goals they scored, Toronto puts 10 on them. They just, they they can't, they're, they're being separated from the better teams because they're not a good team yet. They're just kind of, you know, still on the up and up. So this is that time when it happens. Coming out of the All-Star game, it's when it gets ramped up. And that's what you're seeing from Nathan McKinnon. 
He sat the game against Detroit, and since then, it's been a goal almost every single time he's on the ice. He's playing physical. He's getting into it. You know, the play in Arizona that led to the fight, which we'll talk about later, it wasn't even a guy that was coming after him. It was pretty much an accidental high stick, and I think Nathan McKinnon was more pissed at the missed call than he was at the Arizona player who suddenly had his hands full like, God damn it, ref, you couldn't call a penalty on me. Now I got this guy jumping me, and I don't even want to fight him. Like, it was just a really... It's a fired up, passionate Nathan McKinnon. It's kind of what happens coming out of the All-Star break. And along the lines of scoring a goal almost every time you're on the ice, Andre Burakovsky continues to score on the yes. top line. I mean, he I've said it a million times. I'll say it again. I love Andre Burakovsky when he's playing with talent. Having Nathan McKinnon and Mikko Rantanen by his side is just I think it's it's huge for his game i mean it'd, it'd be huge for my game it'd be huge for patrick's game it'd be huge for your game right but it's just it's exponentially bigger for andre burakovsky and i know it's a little bit defense defensively scary having those three guys out on the ice together but i think they've held their own well and the fact that they're producing goals and playing most of the the time on the ice in the offensive zone is all you need you're right the best offense is a good or the best defense is a good offense um, Precisely. Yep. So uh, I, I love that line together, and it gives Jared Bednar a lot of flexibility with the lower lines as well. Yeah, I, I want to start by saying people need to stop tweeting me calling Jared Bednar a clown for splitting up the top line. Um, let's let's calm it down. The Avalanche are forty eleven and five. That's after losing two consecutive games. They are forty eleven and five. And experimenting. We know once the playoffs For the playoffs. They're going to go back to what works best. I mean, 100%. But you know what? If they continue to experiment like this and Burakovsky on that top line is what works best, then let Jared play Burakovsky Mm -hmm. on the top line if they're scoring every freaking game. But I'm going to tiptoe off of that line to the second line because Val Nichushkin returns to the lineup. He plays with Nazem Kadri and Gabe Landeskog. And Jared not only put them three together, but he went out of his way to pair those three up against the top line of the Calgary Flames and Johnny Goudreau, Elias Lundholm, and Matthew Kachuk. And they were pretty much like they, they were spot on. They were excellent. Pick a pick a word. They were they were they were fantastic. They played an excellent defensive game against that line, shut them down pretty much as much as, as they possibly can at five on five. And that's part of the experimenting. It's not just that you're creating a top line that can score with Andre Burakovsky, even though you take Gabe Landeskog off that line. It's creating a second line that despite them being able to produce, because Gabe Landeskog's scoring and putting up points at a career-high pace, Val Nichushkin's doing the same thing, and Nazem Kadri's already passed his career high. Despite all of that, that could be a damn good shutdown line. And Jared, even going out of his way to talk about it post-game, says all you need to know about how much he wanted to experiment with that line and the fact that you're probably going to see quite a bit of it in the playoffs too. Right. I mean, Jared Bednar is a data-driven guy, right? So he's going to throw these lines together, and why not? Because if you just spend the entire season with that top line together, how are you going to be able to take a step back, assess the data, assess the numbers, as well as the eye test, right, and see which one you think is going to be the best fit for the playoffs? Tenacious is the word I want to use. You were saying, you know, you were trying to pick yeah, what word that's, to that's describe word, this yeah. line. And and the reason I want to use tenacious is because that's what I think of Val Nichushkin on the forecheck. He knows how to kind of manipulate the minds of the guys with the puck, right? He's constantly blocking the pass lane as, a t- as he's attacking and just making the defender with the puck 
make a mistake and having to force a pass that he doesn't necessarily want to make isn't his option a and that's how you see him creating a lot of turnovers you i loved seeing him a couple times really getting in on that four check being in that f1 and so aggressive it at it and it works he's so aggressive yeah. yeah he does it he but he picks his spots and that's what i like about it he doesn't mm-hmm. try to force it he doesn't do that thing where he's just aggressive and tenacious and now he's out of possession that out of position and the puck's going the other way he picks his spots of when to do it and he seems to have that high hockey iq where he's doing it at the right times Again, mixing him with guys like Kadri and Landeskog, like all three of those guys play the similar style of game. And you know now that Jared is thinking he came out of that game and actually he probably said exactly this. He said, uh, you know, I wanted to put that line together to see if it works. And it did. And, you know, Jared went into that game saying win or lose doesn't matter. Have a good game and know if this is going to work. And what that knowing is going to work is saying, well, now I know when we're playing against a team that has a strong line that is scoring on us, that is kind of shutting us down, that we have no answer for, all I got to do is put 13, 92, and 91 together, and I've got my shutdown line that can still produce offensively. That's an excellent thought, right? We're sitting here talking about he's experimenting so that way when he comes to the playoffs, he knows what options are best. But the way you phrase it there, I, I really like it because you look back at last year's playoffs And once Vegas started giving the Avalanche a hard time, it kind of felt like they had no answers, right? It seems like Jared Bednar is preparing to get those answers ready. Say, okay, what happens if this top line does get shut down for two games in a row? What are we going to do with then? What's plan B? And it seems like he's kind of getting plan B ready there. No, no, no. There's two ways to look at it. If our top line, and you know, I'm speaking as if I'm Jared, if our top line gets shut down... Let's add Burakovsky to it and mix it up and know that that trio can do it too. But alternatively, if the other team's top line, we are having issues shutting them down. Let's put Landeskog with Val and and Kadri and shut them down. So now you have options to say, if we need to score, we know what to do. If we need to stop the opposition from scoring, we also know what to do. And if everything is working out, then everything's working out. We don't got to mix the lines and people aren't tweeting me calling Jerry Bednar a clown. Like... This is what you do to prepare for the playoffs when you have 40 wins in 56 games. You try different things. You make sure you have that ready. And I I don't think it's a coincidence that Jared's doing a lot of these things when he's playing the teams he might see in the playoffs. So now he knows not only that that 91, 92, and 13 line could be a good shutdown line. Now he knows if he sees the Calgary Flames, that trio can get it done against Calgary Flames' top line. Right. And you're going to see him doing things like that. We saw it against Vegas last week. I think, you know, despite the Avalanche being 8-3-2 and two in their last, what, 13 games, which makes it sound like that's a terrible record. 8-3-2 and two is pretty freaking good. Despite that, despite losing to Arizona and all these things that's, that have happened, they went into Vegas twice on the second of a back-to-back and beat the Vegas Golden Knights pretty handily. So let's let's give the credit where it's due. And Jared tried some things in those games, Burakovsky playing on the top line and all that to say, when we play Vegas, we know what works. He did the same thing with Calgary yesterday, but he took the defensive approach. We know the trio that we need to put out to shut down their top line. And along with that, I guess, experimentation of guys in or out of the lineup, we had Curtis McDervid kind of was a surprise addition to the lineup. Um, but it makes sense, right? He wants to play that heavy game. He knew the type of game Calgary plays. I mean, we got into it at the top of the show. He was trying to think of the playoff mindset, the playoff style that 
uh, they need to kind of prepare for and seeing if McDermott was a good fit, right? I mean, he was really put out there just to fight. He only played two minutes and three seconds of, of uh, regular game time and spent five minutes in the box. So, And, uh, you know, he probably spent more than two minutes and three seconds exchanging punches with Lucic. Yeah, that was, like, a, that was a long fight. Very long right? one. Um, I was curious, were they together in, in L.A. at all? I don't think so. I don't think Curtis McDermott has been around. Because it just it didn't seem like one of those FU kind of fights, right? It was more of, hey, no. we're two big guys. Let's go. Let's throw them. And yeah. then it even ended respectfully. Nobody fell. It was a good fight, good long fight. And just didn't seem like there was much animosity to it. Just more of a, hey, I, I like to throw. You like to throw. Let's throw them. So he started his NHL career in 17-18, but in 15-16... And 16-17, he played for the Ontario Reign, which is their minor league team. So maybe they've been together in a training camp, but mm-hmm. it, they've, they've definitely never played together in the NHL. Okay, well, your thoughts on the fight? I thought it was, it was awesome. It was so much fun to watch. It was one of those fights where you don't often see it anymore, where those staged fights that the NHL worked so hard to get rid of, which, you know, I'm glad they did. Like I'm the same guy that wrote the articles that he wrote earlier in the season about head hits and stuff like that. But now that they're so extremely rare, it still gives you that adrenaline rush, that jump out of your seat feeling when a couple guys drop the gloves and they put up their fists and they kind of sit there and skate in a circle and just kind of analyze each other. You get that, you get that adrenaline rush going through you and you know that those two guys get it too. And you know, Gabe Landeskog said it best. Milan Lucic is the one of the toughest, if not the toughest guy in the NHL over the last decade. And Curtis McDermott held his own. You know, they they went pretty damn long. You just knew. And you said this to me, and then I stole your comments and I tweeted it. <laughs> but you just knew. Classic era. One of those. Yeah, exactly. I, and I don't cite my sources either. You just knew neither of those guys were going to go down. You knew it was going to go until the linesman got in between and said, all right, we got a hockey game to play. And that's exactly what happened. I'm going to read you all the people that Curtis McDermott has fought this season. And then I'm going to make a point. Oh, this is fun. And I want to hear what you say. His first fight was against Delorier of Anaheim, which I know there's a ton of history there, and they, they fight all the time. Then his next fight was against Ryan Reeves. After that, he fights Jordan Greenway. Then another meeting with Delorier. And then, of course, Milan Lucic. So those are some names that he's fighting. He's, and he's going after some big beating. dudes. He, it feels like he's winning these fights, right? You look yeah. back at the Reeves fight, he definitely won that. So I feel it might be time to crown McDermott the toughest guy in the NHL. I mean, he's he's right up there and if if he's not, I'm not going to be the one to tell him he's not. Like you can you you can handle that one. I think uh I think what we're seeing from Curtis McDermott is, is again, like you know, we've been talking about this all season and some people love it, some people hate it. This is what he was brought in to do. He was brought in that when you play teams that have this kind of guy that's going to run around and and kind of, especially when it's someone like Jordan Greenway or someone like Ryan Reeves, well, maybe more Greenway than Reeves, that plays big minutes, not having a response for that guy, being able to have that equalizer. I know hockey's very archaic in that sense of having even having that culture in the first place, but it still exists. It's still a thing, and it's something that coaches still got to account for. We saw Ryan Reeves give the Avalanche a ton of issues in the games that he played last year. Ryan Graves was, you know, at the bottom of a pile with Ryan Reeves, and, you know, Ryan got a, Ryan being Reeves this time, got a suspension for that play, but the Avalanche had no answer for him. So now that you have Curtis McDermott, it's exactly what he was brought in to do, and 
he's picking his fights and he's picking them wisely and he's picking them wisely the the different way than the way that you would or I would because when I would pick my fights wisely I would fight guys that aren't the toughest in the league Curtis is saying <laughs> no 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 I don't want to fight a middleweight guy I want the biggest toughest baddest guys in the league because this is how I'm going to earn my paycheck this is how I'm going to earn another contract in the NHL and this is why teams trade a fourth round draft pick for me after I was selected in an expansion draft like there's a reason why people want McDermott and it's what we saw yesterday it makes me think of Matt Duchesne and his two fights against Vladimir Sabo- Sabotka, Sabotka <laughs> right? He's just like, I could take this guy. I'm only going to fight this guy who did, forever. Who but. did Sam Gerard fight recently? The other small guy? Uh, I forget. Last year, maybe? I do, too. I forget. We'll look into that in a second. But, no, uh, just a little fun fact. Milan Lucic has actually fought Curtis McDermott three times. It's the guy he's fought Ooh. second most, only only behind Delorier. Um, but, no, to your point with, with Ryan Reeves, and I said this on the hockey show yesterday. I'll say it again because I thought it was a really good point. I heard it from David Backus. He was on Sirius XM NHL radio over the past week, and, of course, the conversation is, what's going on in Vegas? And he said exactly what you're saying. It's the culture. You get rid of a guy like Ryan Reeves, it really makes an impact on the other guys in that locker room and the way they play on the ice, the attitude that they play with, right? They don't feel as big. They don't feel like they can get away with as much. And then, of course, the Marc-Andre Fleury, that's a big piece in the locker room. So When you you take out the guy, when you take out Ryan Reeves for exactly what you said, and then you take out the guy that helps you stay loose... Well, now you're just stressed and tense all the time. By the way, it was Alex DeBrinkit. That's the guy that Gerard fired. And I said yeah, recently, yep. I said recently, it was four months before the COVID pause of 2020. So time no longer makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, it was Alex DeBrinkit. Oh, uh, well, let's get into Sam Gerard here, right? Uh, I think he was kind of making a lot of Avalanche fans mad. I used, you started seeing the trade Sam Gerard conversation come up again. And it's funny because that's such a polarizing conversation. You're either on one side or the other. But um, yeah, he had a tough game. It was no secret. But he was also thrown out there a lot. He had a lot of responsibility on his plate against Calgary. And, you know, just one of those nights, just like Darcy Kemper. Some nights you just don't have it. And hey, it's okay. It's just about how you respond, right? You got to dust yourself off and try again, as the late, great Aaliyah once said. Yeah, I... Very bad turnovers from Sam Gerrard, no doubt. Uh, like, there's there's no way to sugarcoat it. He had a very bad game. Um, but what we saw Jared doing, uh, I liked what he did. Because if you're Jared and one of your top three guys in Makar, Gerrard, and Taves don't have a good game and go into a little bit of a slump, so right now it's Gerrard, the last thing you want to do is throw him in the doghouse, bench him, and do all these things because what's the alternative? We saw Ryan Murray, Jack Johnson, and Eric Johnson each play 15 minutes yesterday. There is a massive divide between the top three and the bottom three defensemen on this team. We also know that Bowen Byram is kind of hanging in the balance right now. We don't know if he's coming back or not. It's kind of looking more like he will eventually. And Joe Sackick, you know, Joe Sackick doesn't say the things he said at his press conference the other day of we still wish to see him this year unless he knew there was a potential chance that he would come. I think that's a you just count him not playing, and if he does, what a pleasant surprise. Exactly, yeah. So, But without him, what are your options? I'm not by any means bashing Eric or Jack Johnson, nor am I bashing Ryan Murray's play. Every defenseman on the Avalanche this year has done their part, and I think if you're the Avs going into the you know trade deadline, rather than go out and acquire a big-name defenseman, your goal is to just bring in more bodies for depth. So you're not going to go out there, you know, you're going to bring in guys that are, you know, can fill in in the bottom pair, maybe be a four, five, six. You're not going to go out there and bring in a top guy that's going to shake things up. 
So I like the way that he approached Sam Gerrard's bad game by saying, you know what, we're going to throw him out there with Kel McCarr. We're going to throw him out there with Devon Taves and then some shifts with Jack Johnson, his usual D partner to start the game. And let's help him help himself get out of this little rut that he's in. And he had a bunch of, you know, bad turnovers. He whiffed on a shot. I mean, I know there were some bad plays and bad turnovers that you knew were like boneheaded, which, you know, are the issues that happen when you're in a rut. But it's just hilarious how one of the plays that led to a Calgary breakaway was he literally was at the point and whiffed on a shot. Like it doesn't get more unlucky. That's not he made a bad play. That's just pure like bad luck. And for it to happen when you're in the middle of a rut, just kind of everything comes full circle. When it rains, it it pours. That's just the way it works. And it was just a shitty way to see that all kind of, you know, happen all at once. But, you know, Jared, Jared did the right thing, in my opinion. Because if you sit, Sam, what do you do? Play Eric 21 minutes or Jack? Like, what What are you going to do if Gerard gets three or four minutes slash from his ice time? I've brought this quote up on the podcast before, and I hate how much a movie quote is relevant in my mind to actual sports. But the replacements, when Shane Falco is talking about quicksand, right? And the more you fight, the worse it gets and the deeper you get. That kind of feels what's going on in Sam Gerrard's head right now. He makes one mistake and it leads to another mistake, which leads to another mistake. And you're seeing pucks bounce off his stick. You're seeing him whiff on shots and and it's tough. But that's the beauty of the NHL is he gets to just wipe it off. He gets to move on. He's not the only player in that room that had a tough night. So, you know, you know he's got the support of his teammates and it's it's nothing that people are really going to drill him on I think within the locker room I think Avs fans are are still going to be ruthless and still going to call for his head next mistake he makes but um right he gets to just bounce back and he gets to start it all over on Tuesday yeah I mean if you come to me with a conversation about trading Sam Gerrard because you got three or four defensemen that might play a similar style and you want to trade him I don't know for a more physical guy like Jacob Chikrin, it's worthy of a conversation, you know, bringing in someone who plays a more aggressive style of game because you already have Makar and Byram. But if you're going to come to me and say, trade Sam Gerrard, he sucks. He's a piece of shit. I hate the way he plays or whatever. I'm not going to have that conversation. It's, it's you know, picking a scapegoat. And now we've we've dubbed Sam Gerrard as that guy. It's the same reason why John Michael Lyles was a scapegoat or Tyson, jo- or not Joe's, but Tyson Berry was a scapegoat. It's always picking on that one guy and if you're going to have that conversation, I'm not going to be here for it because Sam Gerrard's a great player. Every other NHL team would love to have him, especially at his contract. When I talk about trading him, it's to make the avalanche better in other places, not to screw this guy. He sucks. We're better without him than we are with him because that's not true. So, yeah, he's going to come back against the Islanders and he's got a chance to rebound and he probably will. He's not having the same kind of offensive production season that he had a year ago, scoring at a 50 plus point pace. But He's still having a good year. He's still the Avalanche's third best defenseman and plays upwards of 20 minutes a night because there is that big drop off between the top three and bottom three. And I'll correct myself. I said Tuesday. They play tomorrow, Monday against the Islanders. They do play Tuesday as well. New Jersey Devils. So they got a back to back here. Uh, But yeah, little road trip this week. 530, 5 o'clock and 5 o'clock. I love those start times. And then the home game on Sundays at 6. Let's go. So with the upcoming back to backs with the Islanders and New Jersey Devils, we're bound to see Pavel Francouz, just like we saw him yesterday in relief, right? We know Darcy Kemper is going to have to dust himself off as well, and he's going to have to come and bounce back in one of those two games. But let's get into Francouz a little bit, because I think it was impressive Again, this isn't the first time we've seen him do this, how he jumps right in unexpected, unexpectedly. It's not exactly a moment where you 
10 to see goalies pulled. It was only three goals given up and the avalanche were still in the game. It's not like it was a five, nothing four nothing route at that point. So at the flick of a switch, Pavel Francis had to get ready and he did. He shined, he performed, he only let up one goal and that was the overtime winner. So uh, Pavel Francis, fantastic performance last night against Calgary. He was awesome, man. He played 39 minutes and he faced 22 shots. Uh, he played, you know, just under 39 minutes in regulation and stopped all 21 shots he faced. So he was great. You know, he kind of went toe-to-toe with Dan Vladash at the other end who stopped all 15 shots that he faced in the third period. And I think I said his name correctly. I know it's spelled Vladar, but I think it's Vladash. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, but regardless, <laughs> I just, I said it out loud and I was like, wait, did I say that correctly? But regardless, Pavel Francouz was awesome. Um, I think it's great that the Avalanche have a player like that that you can tell that, 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 you know, we talk about goalies and players in general, Sam Gerard, we just talked about it, where when they get in a rut, they sort of start to beat themselves up and they start to overthink and they might get tense or nervous, but the mental strength you got to have to have that, fuck it, I'm just here to have fun and play hockey mentality that Pavel Francouz has, like, that's invaluable. You can't say enough about how important it is to have something like that. So for, for somebody like this guy, uh, to come in and playing a great team. You know, we saw it against the Toronto Maple Leafs and now you're playing the Calgary Flames. These are two teams at the top of the NHL standings and to just be that calming presence. I'm just here to have fun and stop all 21 shots you face in regulation. That is a valuable piece to have. That's the kind of piece that I promise you this, if he was healthy last year, we would have seen maybe a few games of Grubauer being benched a little bit earlier. Not because he was having a terrible game, but because just like yesterday with Darcy Kemper, you know, Darcy led in three goals on 15 shots and was pulled in a three to two game that was tied two to two before he led in the goal. So it wasn't necessarily the kind of game where you had to pull a goalie. There was a lot of goals being scored, 25 total shots and five goals already went in. So, you know, the two goalies combined had, you know, saved only 20 to 25 shots, only an 80% save percentage. But you just had a feeling that Jared was looking at Darcy's play from the goals he was giving up, the type of way they were going in, Erica Branson point shot that just kind of found the back of the net. Um, and the fact that, you know, Darcy even took the penalty that led to the first goal right off the face off. You just knew that Jared was saying he's not having a good night. I know this guy in Pavel Francis can come in and be a calming presence and play well. Again, it's a valuable piece to have. And, and, and I think it's really big for the ass to have that guy, especially heading into again, the long playoff run that we're, everybody is expecting to see from this team. It's all about preparation for the playoffs. And that was another piece that we saw yesterday. It's knowing you can rely on Pavel in situations like that. Right. It's mental toughness, right? I mean, I think it'd be easier for easy for a lot of people to step into that situation and think, okay, this team just shelled the other guy. What are they going to do to me? But at the same time, I think there's something to be said for NHL preparation, right? I mean, these guys are pros. They've seen this happen before. So every game you have to be ready just in case every single time. He's been on the other side of that in a game where he maybe thought he was going to come into it and steal the show and ends up getting pulled. It happens. So you, you never know when it's going to happen. So you always have to be prepared for it. And then I think there's something to be said for when you do finally step in that net and you think well, there's no way I'm going to do worse than the other guy did, right? So I think that takes off a little bit of pressure. It, it, yeah. take, it kind of allows you to say, all right, I'm here to do better than he did because he sucked, and there's no way I'm going to do worse than that, so let's go. I'm a pro goalie. Pavel, He's a pros. 
Pavel's just got a very unique personality because like, I mean, let's take Marc-Andre Fleury, for example. He's a fun, loving, happy-go-lucky guy. But when he's between the pipes, he's intense. You don't get that sense from Pavel. He's just a calming presence that, again, like he just feels like a guy that's happy to be there, but also knows that he's there to win. So he's not, he doesn't have that intense look, you know, the Varley with the mask on where Semyon Varlamov always had that look, the eyes widened. Exactly. Yeah. He always had that look or Devin Dubnik's, you know, intensity, Philip Grubauer, Darcy Kemper, even Pavel doesn't really have that. And, and I think that works for him. And it's, it's, it's a nice kind of mirror to what you see in the starter and Darcy Kemper. Yeah, I agree. I think you're spot on there. I mean, you could see it in the press conferences, right? He's never really been one. He's kind of one of those yeah. guys, a lot like Jared Bender. You got to make sure his microphone is turned all the way up because he's just going to sit there and he's going to talk to you like this and he's going to kind of yeah. have a smile on. And the one, yeah. the one time that he even said anything that was kind of out of line was when he said, you know, it was, it felt like it was goalie interference to me. And if that's not goalie interference, then who knows? But he, he, again, he wasn't intense about it. Mm-hmm. He was just sharing his thoughts. Right, right. So yeah, like to see the uh, just goalies getting each other back, right? Because it wasn't that long ago that Pavel had a bad game and uh, Darcy had to jump in and take care of things. And just having that one-two punch when one guy's off, the other guy can come on. And I like it. And it's good timing by Bednar. I mean, it worked, right? It was turn the game around and, and they have stopped getting scored on and it was a more even balanced game throughout the rest of the night. So I thought it was a great call because that's, again, that wasn't a traditional time to pull a goalie. That was a coaching call. That was a complete coaching call there. It felt it felt more like a starting pitcher getting yanked from a game than it did yeah. a goalie. Where, you know, it was just, I feel like he's not having a good night. Let's get him out of there. Which, in my mind, it protects Darcy more than anything. As much as Darcy was pissed heading off the ice and slammed a stick on the boards, it protects him more than anything. And and I think that that's a great thing to have from a head coach too. Only his second time being pulled this season due to performance. Yes, yeah. Um, real quick, let's get a conversation in about Total Beverage, guys. Everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits. But did you know that they deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need, and more. And more. Just one of those big superstore liquor stores. Let's get into... A couple more things here, Arif, before we get out of here for our Sunday edition. Nikita Zadorov back in town. I think that's a guy everybody still has affinities for, right? Whether you were on the get Nikita Zadorov out of here train or or you were on the he's an amazing defenseman, we got to keep him train. I think you still look back at his time with the Avalanche and and smile and think about, you know, he was a fun piece to have around here. He was, he was great to watch. Guy. They definitely took a step forward in getting rid of him and adding Devon Taves, right? But you still have that, man, what if this guy was still on the team idea in the back of your mind? But then, you know, there would have been no Brandon Saad. No Brandon Saad, and, you know, the salary just wouldn't work. I mean, it's crazy to think of the turnover. Ian Cole, Ryan Graves, Nikita Zadorov, like these were staples of the Avalanche's defense. And now you've replaced them with, you know, Jack Johnson and Ryan Murray that are doing their parts. And, of course, Devon Taves, who's, you know, everything you wanted and way more when the avalanche acquired him so you know 
Gabe Landeskog even post game was asked about Zadorov. He said he hadn't run into him yet, but you know we love to have him. He was so much fun, and he was so fun in the locker room. He was just a little goof. By little, I mean massive. Just a giant. He was a huge guy, a but a goof. Giant just, goof. Just a fun locker room jokester, and you know he was fun to cover, fun to talk to. And he was a great teammate, and you know despite having bad turnovers here and there, and maybe not the best, most consistent defenseman, uh, he fits Daryl Sutter's style of play a lot more, especially with. You know, playing with guys like Eric Goodbranson, but you know, I I, I kind of go back and forth on if he needed to have that kind of a standing ovation and a tribute, but uh, it 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 made sense. He was here for a very long time. He left in 2020. He was part of the O'Reilly trade way back in 2015, so he spent quite a bit of time here, and and he was a fan favorite. And you know, that's all you ask from a guy. Right. He felt like one of those, despite being from the trade, he felt like a homegrown guy because he spent time in San Antonio. He worked his way up. He did it with a good attitude, too. Right. I feel like you think Nikita Zadorov, you think ego. But no. when he was a, a rookie, I, I mean, you do. He, he's egotistical. Right. He, he loves himself. He thinks he's maybe one of the best defensemen in the NHL. But when he was a rookie and he had to spend his time and pay his dues in San Antonio, he did it yeah. the right way. He did it with hard work. He did it working his way into the NHL and then eventually became a staple. But yeah, I thought that comment from Gabe Landeskog was funny because I remember being in that dressing room and the Gabe Landeskog, Nikita Zadorov dynamic was always a treat, especially after practice when things were more loose yeah. and um, they're just always chirping each other. He always had, a, so, always had a big smile on his face. Just a fun guy. He was one, yeah, of, those, always, he was one of those Marc-Andre Fleury guys. Just loosens up the room. Yep, 100%. Always, always had some shit to give Gabe Landeskog. So when we heard Gabe Landeskog's comments there after the game, um, I thought it was unique, right? Normally you would just hear some, yeah, he was a great guy here. It, it was fun to have him. It was good to see him. But no, Gabe Landeskog was more like, oh, we loved him when he yeah. was here. Like It, it was a, definitely a different vibe from Landeskog. So... Um, yeah, uh, I guess the question really is, did you like the tribute video? It felt, it felt a little bit rushed to me. It felt a little bit like, uh, shoot, everybody kind of caught it halfway through. Nobody yeah. really know, knew it was going on until it was almost over. Yeah. I, I never liked the way they introduced those tribute videos where they just go to it. And like, if you're not looking at the Jumbotron, then you look up and you're like, wait, why is a slideshow of, oh, that's 16. Yeah. Off. Okay. There needs to be a little bit more of an announcement at the beginning rather than the end. Fans, turn your eyes to the Jumbotron as we honor the return or, you know, yep. the tribute of a returning player. And then the snow's being shoveled and all 18,000 are looking up and we're enjoying the moment. Fans, let's welcome back Nikita Zadorov. Then you go to the bench of him waving. So um, that's kind of the way that I see it. You know, you... You uh, you should kind of introduce it a little bit better because, to me, it just makes more sense to do it that way. What stood out to me, obviously, you, the hits, right? They had to highlight the physical side of Nikita Zadorov's game. But what really stood out to me and kind of distracted me from the topic at hand was looking back at those old uniforms and looking back at the black breezers with the black helmets on the white sweaters. It's just as little time as we've had with these blues, it feels like the blues are now, they just feel right. They feel more comfortable, right? Everybody was like, oh my God, this is way too much blue. My eyes, oh my gosh, what are these, the Smurfs? But now you look back at the black and it's like, uh, that doesn't fit. Why weren't they red or burgundy uh, or blue this entire time? Who picked red? Who picked black in the first place? Yeah, it's just funny because like, it's it's hard to look at it now. 
it it genuinely is and and it was hard to look at the blue like you said it was hard to look at the blue when they changed to it uh when they first initially changed to it and now it's hard to look back at the black and i think the black to me it never made sense but it was just kind of what was there since the beginning remember the very first game colorado avalanche uh the yeah, very they, oof, they had I'm, black I'm, helmets with yes, the white thank you yeah, I'm I'm st- struggling with my words here, but that's what I was trying to get to. The very yeah. first Colorado Avalanche game, they had the black helmets with the white jerseys too, and that just looked even more strange when you look back at it. You know, you got Val- Valerie Kamensky going around with the, uh, the ice with this black bucket on a white jersey at home because it used to be the home jersey. So it took them quite a bit of time to fix what needed to be fixed, but they got there. They had to go through this uh, the, the the Reebok apron Uniprin phase they you know eventually got rid of the yeti's foot brought the the colorado sea which i like i loved the yeti's foot too but it was more of a nostalgic thing than anything like what the hell is that foot doing on a jersey um but they they've got it right now with the blue and when you look at the pictures of the black it just looks strange right and it's been around for so long that it makes you realize that how long nikita zadorov has been out of town already it doesn't feel like it's been two seasons but here we are It's, it's nothing nothing just time doesn't make sense anymore it's covid really it changed everything not just like personal lives but from a sports landscape like you know last season started 14 months ago last season didn't start that long ago it was not even 13 months ago less than 13 months ago 12 months and three weeks ago was opening night for the 2020 21 season and the playoffs for the 2020 season was in July and August or August and September of 20. Like it's just everything just seems off where it's just it's it's hard to keep track of the years. And it's crazy to me that he's been gone for that long. Like it feels like Ian Cole has been gone longer than Nikita Zadorov. But Ian Cole played a few games in those new blue jerseys before he was traded for Greg Patterson. 12 and a half months ago like it just it wasn't that long ago right and you know we were bringing up Kale McCarr's first game against Calgary it doesn't feel like it was that long ago that was already 2019 that was three calendar years ago it does not feel like that but let's get into the the week ahead before we get out of here as we mentioned a little bit ago they got New York Islanders tomorrow who they just played right and it wasn't the easiest of games but they eventually overcame about halfway through New Jersey Devils who are just a team that knows how to beat good teams on any given night randomly so not exactly someone you need to look past and then the Carolina Hurricanes I think that might be the best matchup we've seen yet this season in my opinion the two best teams in the NHL so a big week ahead for Colorado all on the road and they're going to go from Carolina on Thursday to another matchup against the Flames on Sunday. So it's, it's you know, three games on the road and then the fourth one at home. Oh, it's no big deal. It's just the team that we just spent an hour breaking down how fun it was to play them. So it's mm-hmm. it's a big week on the road, but it's just a big week in general. Four games from Monday to Sunday, and uh, they're, they're going to be pretty good and pretty entertaining. Seven weeks left. In the regular Crazy. season here, yeah. Arif, we're pre- preparing our descent. You got twelve home the games. Trade deadline is only fifteen road days. games. Oh wait, yeah, <laughs> fourteen road games left, and how many home? Yep, twelve. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. All right, I thought you said fifteen home games. I'm like, have they really played more road games than home? It feels like the opposite with January, but yeah, no, that makes sense. But the trade deadline. I mean, by the time everybody's listening to this, it's Monday. The trade deadline's in two weeks. Wow, wow. Yeah, it's it's coming quick. Things are heating up. I heard 13 scouts 
at Claudio's game last week. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that develops. I'm, yeah, I'm and feeling, according according feeling Minnesota is going to be the winner. No, no, no. According to Elliot Friedman, the entire Philadelphia brass, Danny Briere, their GM, uh, Chuck Fletcher, and their AGM, I forget who, were all scouting the Charlotte game in the AHL, which is the minor league team for the Florida Panthers, because they were there to watch mm. Owen Tippett which is the prospect that they would be looking at. So don't count out the Florida Panthers, man. They want Claude Drew as well. Not sure if you've seen this one, though, but here's a rumor that's starting to get a little bit of traction. The Colorado Avalanche being interested in Patrick Kane. Okay. It'll be some juggling. <laughs> Obviously, there's a massive where, salary. Where is that one coming from? It's being reported in a couple different places. Go Google it. It's definitely uh, something that is actually getting traction. I mean, I remember a long time ago asking, um, while P.K. Subban was on the trade block and asking Joe Sackick, hey, was that somebody you kicked the tires on? And he says, we kick the tires on everybody. If you're not doing your job, if you're not making every single call you can make. So it might just be an over, overblown version of that. But... I don't believe in coincidences, Arif, and I think when there's smoke, there's fire. I think there might be somebody trying to work something out there. I don't know how realistic or possible it is, though. It's the fourth period. It's David Pagnota. Uh, I've met him before. He's He's been right at times. He's been wrong at times. But, I mean, in the end, you know, could go either way. It appears the Colorado Avalanche are looking to make a significant acquisition ahead of the trade deadline. The Avalanche are reportedly one of the teams that have reached out to the Blackhawks to inquire about Patrick Kane, according to Dave Pagnota of the fourth period. Pagnota's comments come after Elliot Friedman reported that the Blackhawks have been receiving calls about Kane and his availability. Obviously, this is the follow-up of Kyle Davidson being officially announced as the GM of the Blackhawks. So right. I could see why those calls are not being made ahead of the trade deadline, but... Another name that I like is Andrew Kopp. He's a left winger. I think he plays some center as well for the Winnipeg Jets. Um, and I'm not saying this out of biasness, but he played for the Michigan Wolverines as well. I'm pretty sure he crossed paths with uh, JT Comfer. I could be wrong on that, but uh, he's one of those tenacious players, those Blake Coleman type of guys that could help win you games in the playoffs like we talked about earlier. Brandon Hagel of the Chicago Blackhawks is another one of those guys, and he's under contract for one more season. Arturi Lekkinen out of Montreal. There's just so many balls in the air right now. Claude Giroux is the sexy name, but there are so many pieces that the Avalanche could acquire at the deadline that makes mm -hmm. sense. And, and, and of course, Patrick Kane is, the, is a bigger name than Claude Giroux. Right, right. It, it'll be tough to make it work, but if they can, that'd be quite the addition to this team Mike. i'm goodness. here for chaos um, chaos is my favorite thing in, in hockey and you know that would be total chaos and i'm here for joe sackick just going for it right we've talked so many times how he loves to shoot at those big names whether he lands them or not is Artemi whatever but Panarin, the fact that he goes for him taylor yep. hall seth jones he wants them all baby he does. He does. So uh, that'll do it for our Sunday edition. There will be no Sunday edition next week because, as you mentioned, we'll be at Ball Arena watching the Calgary game. But we'll be back later this week, probably after this back-to-back, -to, -back, to break down some more games for you. And, uh, yeah, plug away through these last seven weeks of the season. So, Arif, I feel like you just got your closing thoughts off your chest. But just in case you got anything more stored up, what do you got? That's it from me. I'm I'm excited for... Trade deadline season. The last two weeks heading into the trade deadline are usually when you see moves start to happen and a lot of games coming up here and, and hockey's, hockey's ramping up, man. This is the best time of the year. 
Let's get some shameless free plugs in here, Arif. If you are looking to join a boxing gym, not actually where Let's you're boxing each other, but fitness, check out Rumble Denver, about to open here soon in Cherry Creek. And of course, if you're looking to buy or sell a house, hit me up. I know how to do it, and I know how to make it fun for you. So, If you're looking to sell a house, tell me as well. <laughs> so thanks for hanging out with us on uh, this edition of the podcast. Thank you, Arif. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, all of our listeners out there, um, you know, let us know what you think of the show. Let us know if you have any questions, whether it's Reddit. Arif's always on Reddit. If it's Twitter, any medium you got, we'll be here to respond to you. So wrapping it up here, guys, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. And we ask you.